Morning, everyone. <laughs> what a beautiful day. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just going to head right in today. And I've entitled today's message, Looking Forward with Patience. And I'm going to begin today by reading a quote. One of the most powerful prayers in the midst of suffering was uncovered from the horrors of Ravensbrück concentration camp. Ravensbrück was a concentration camp built in 1939 for women, and over 90,000 women and children perished there, murdered by the Nazis. And Corey Tenboom, who wrote The Hiding Place, was imprisoned there as well. And the prayer found, this is a prayer that was found in the clothing of a dead child. So I'm going to read that prayer. And it says, O oh Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all of the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering. Our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. That is incredible. That is the power of the gospel being displayed, lived out. How incredible it is for, for believers to experience that kind of suffering, that kind of oppression, and come out. They're not even out of it yet. They're still in the midst of it, but they come out with that kind of a conclusion, that kind of a thought pattern, that kind of freedom. That's actually an incredible amount of freedom. Sometimes those of us who are living in the free world, not under slavery, not under captivity, we're not even as free as that. That is a mindset of freedom, of liberty. They value, that woman, whoever wrote that, valued being forged in the fire of suffering. She understood the glory that was being produced in her by God until she endured to the end. And I wondered, how is it that one person can pen such a magnificent prayer of freedom, of release, while another believer gets stuck in the mire of anger, gets bogged down by critical spirit, by judgment, living entitled and blaming anyone we can blame? How is it that one can come out this way and one another? You know, the attitudes of our heart are so subtle. And I was, um, this last fall, I woke up one morning, I needed groceries, my parents needed groceries, but I had meetings. But I was like, I gotta fit this in, so I got up early and I'm like, I'm gonna go to the grocery store really fast. I'm gonna get this done and hopefully I'm gonna make it to my meetings on time. And so I hurry off to the grocery store only to find that the store that I had been shopping in for the last how many ever years was rearranging all its aisles. I couldn't find anything. I'm in a hurry. For the <laughs> and the farther along I went as I'm grocery shopping, the more irritated I began to get because I'm going to be late for my meeting. And I ended up having to leave some of the groceries that were on my list because I just couldn't find them. And as soon as I got in the car, the Lord began speaking to me. He goes, Gretchen, your attitude is pretty entitled. You think the grocery store owes you something. 
They don't owe you the ease of shopping by leaving all their rows in the same place that they were before. You think they owe it to you, and he began to show me my entitled attitude, and I was like, oh my goodness, you're totally right. And these thought patterns, entitlement, our judgments, they can so easily be living within us until that moment of stress when they bubble to the surface, and then we see it. You see, God wants to fashion our mindsets the way that we think. He wants to take these attitudes that smell like moldy cheese and wants to cut them off to exemplify the greatness of heart that was displayed in that letter. God needs to transform our thinking patterns and uproot those bitter root judgments that we see life through, that we perceive experiences through. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. Verse 7 to 12. Next week is our last week in the book of James. So James 5, verse 7 to 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So I have three points again today. I'm getting used to this. I think it must be Logos that's helping me along. But point number one, patient endurance. Point number two, establish your hearts. And point number three, steadfast in suffering. So number one, patient endurance. So James tells us to be patient until the coming of the Lord. The root word for patience indicates long-suffering. So it's not just I'm being patient till Christmas comes. There's an idea of long-suffering in that term, be patient. And as a reference point, the suffering that James is referring to, defined by the Greek, is hardship and affliction. It's being subject to affliction that is unjustly inflicted. So he says, notice he says, be impatient, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And you stop and look, until the coming of the Lord? What? That's a long time. He's not saying just be patient until COVID is over. Don't just be long-suffering until then. Be patient, long-suffering until the coming of the Lord. Be patient for the rest of your life until you either see Christ face to face or he returns. Be patient. And that word until comes with a sense of pregnancy. Waiting with a pregnant expectation. So in their context, he's saying be patient while you watch the wicked prosper. Be patient while you undergo oppression and financial hardship. 
Be patient until that day of judgment when God rights all wrongs. And be patient for that day when God will vindicate all who have suffered unjustly. You know, thinking of patience, patience of any kind, whether it includes long-suffering or not, is so difficult in our society where everything is instant. If I want something, I want it now. I go on Amazon, click it, and it arrives at my door tomorrow. <laughs> if I have to wait 20 seconds for my computer to reboot, I get impatient. I know. <laughs> If I have to wait in a lineup, the lights turn green and the car ahead of me isn't going, I get impatient. Let's go. <laughs> We're so conditioned to wanting everything now. We've lost the art of waiting, of resting, being pregnant with great expectation. And so James, he uses the analogy of a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. You see, a farmer's patience is fueled by his assurance of what is to come. He has a seed of corn that he's going to plant, and he knows that that seed of corn is going to turn into a crop, into a harvest that's going to feed his family as his livelihood depends upon it. He knows the end result is going to be precious. He knows it's worth the wait. And so he waits, but he also knows that it's going to take time. Even the planting of a field is not easy going. The plowing, the sowing, by the sweat of his brow, he waits patiently. And then even once planted, he has to wait through a season of dormancy until the seed takes root, until it um, germinates, that's the word, and it breaks the ground. He has to wait for the spring rains, the fall rains. He has to wait while the sun nurtures it. He must wait with great expectation through the perils of the seasons. And day by day, as that corn grows to maturity, he needs to wait. Think about a pregnant woman. A pregnant woman can endure hanging over a toilet with morning sickness every morning. She can endure the shifting of hormones that leave her in tears for no reason. She can endure the sleepless nights as her belly gets so big that she's uncomfortable. She can be patient as her body's ever-changing, growing, gaining weight, stretch marks, water retention, fat feet. She can be patient. Why? Because she's in anticipation for what is to come. The assurance of this child that's going to be placed in her arms, nestled against her breast, is keeping her going. The joy set before her enables her to endure those months. And so what are we being patient for? What is the fruit that is going to come from our patience? Those of us who surrendered our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of the Lord's return, it will be nothing short of victory. The tears of pain will cease. And just as those moments, the suffering of giving birth quickly dissipates, all that we have partaken in the sufferings of Christ is going to completely fall away when we behold him face to face. 
It will become but a memory in his glorious presence, the ancient of days. Let me tell you, it's going to be worth the wait. It's going to be worth your perseverance. It's going to be worth your long suffering. So while we're waiting, point number two, he says, establish your hearts. And the word establish is to turn resolutely in a certain direction. To fix, to steady, to strengthen. So turn resolutely towards the Lord. Fix your gaze on him. Fix your gaze on his coming. The Septuagint uses the word translated establish without the E to describe the upbearing of the hands of Moses by Aaron and Ur on the mountain. Do you remember that story? It was actually the very first battle the people of God faced after Egypt. And I don't know why God planned it this way, but Moses had to hold the staff above his head for them to remain in victory. As soon as he dropped it, the, the enemy would begin to take victory. And so he held his hands up, but he became weary. I couldn't imagine holding a staff above my head for 10 minutes, let alone an entire day. And so in his weariness, these two men, they grabbed a rock and they sat him on the rock. And they stood side by side and held his arms up high. So that story gives us a picture of patient perseverance, long-suffering. And it wasn't, didn't matter how tired his arms got. Moses set his face like flint towards the victory of the Lord as he held his hand up high. And you know, there's some of us today where we feel like we've been holding our hands up high and we're getting tired. We can't bear anymore. But you know what? This is a time where you grab a friend. <laughs> There are friends, there are people around you who can stand with you and hold your arms up as you set your face like flint towards the victory of the Lord. He will do that for us. And so we as a church, we long to stand side by side with those of us who are in times of suffering where we feel we can't go on any longer. We can stand together for the victory of the Lord. See, James, then he goes on, he begins to talk about not grumbling against one another saying that grumbling against others can invite the judgment of the Lord. And you kind of go, this seems kind of out of place. But when you come to think about it, what happens in seasons of frustration, of suffering, of oppression, we do, we begin to take it out on our, the ones we love most dear. We get frustrated, we get snarky. And he's saying, don't do this, don't take your frustrations out on those around you. Charles Spurgeon, there's a, I'm just going to read you a quote that he said. He said, be patient, O worker, for impatience sours the temper, chills the blood, sickens the heart, prostrates the vigor of one's spirit, and spoils the enterprise of life before it is ripe for history. I love that. So instead of choosing impatience, establish your hearts. Fix your eyes. Fix your gaze, and in doing so, you will find grace in your time of need. Point number three, steadfast in suffering. As an example of suffering, he says, consider the prophets. And just to point out that what the prophets endured was not a result of their sin. It was a result of their faithfulness to God. 
That is so often what suffering in Scripture is talked about. It's talked about persecution. So I want you to look at Hebrews 11, a few pages back in your Bible. Hebrews 11, this is a description of what the prophets and other influential leaders who were in the time of the judges went through. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, and they put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And here it turns from victory to things they suffered. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though condemned through their faith, commanded, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. James also goes on, he gives that picture, consider the prophets, and then he says, consider the steadfastness of Job. He was a man who lost everything, everything precious to him, and yet he never wavered in his faith. He, didn't, he was not about to curse God and die. And so we consider, how did it end for the prophets? They were blessed. How did it end for Job? We've seen the purposes of the Lord, James says. We've seen the outcome. And within that outcome, we see the mercy and the compassion of Jesus, of the Father. We see his restoration and the double portion that was given back to Job, a double portion poured out. You see, the end result of your perseverance is going to result in knowing the Lord's compassion and mercy on your very life. Your life hidden in Christ is going to become a harvest that's mature, that's complete, that's not lacking in anything. We're going to receive that crown of life that James talks about back in verse, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. perseverance is going to bring about that crown of life the presence being in the presence of our glorious father you know that woman who wrote the letter in that concentration camp she reached the fullness of maturity her life was ripe figuratively speaking she endured the perils of the seasons she endured the storm she endured the drought she endured the frost on a cold winter's night and yet in it she found the fullness of grace as she established her heart in the father what a harvest sweet and precious 
to God. What a harvest. God has planted himself in us. He's given us his spirit. And each one of us are going to become a sweet and precious harvest to the Father because he's going to complete the work that he began in us. I want to close with Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Hebrews is a good book. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen, Lord. Father, I thank you so much that you give us grace in our time of need. Lord, I pray for today for those who are weary that you will send friends, that you will send ministering angels to lift the hands. Help us set our faces like flint towards your victory, the victory we have in Christ. Father, by your grace today, I'm asking for a miraculous removal of roots that are still in our lives, of judgment, of critical spirits, of entitlement. Lord, we repent for where we've walked in those things. Make us new, cleanse us, refresh us. Give us a new lens by which to view life today. And I thank you, Lord, that our long-suffering is not dependent just on us. But we are strengthened by your spirit that dwells within us. And so we thank you for that. We rely on that today. In Jesus' name, amen.